Heavenly Father, we ask you to come. We've been at this for several weeks now, and uh, uh, I'm sure it's not just me. Some of us are getting getting tired of this. So, Lord, we just ask you to bring your strength. Strengthen us in this time of um, lack, uh, this time of lament, um, this time of... Uh, concern and anxiety and just lord make your presence known to us and give us your strength to endure in jesus name amen all right here we go <clears throat> so we've been studying through the book of john the gospel of john and uh, this is uh 12 out of 15 weeks that we're, we will be in it uh, in total. And at the beginning of this series, uh, we took a look at the end of John's book, the end of the Gospel of John, to understand his purpose for writing what he did. Because one of the things he said was a, a lot more um, was done, but if everything was written down, the book, the, the world wouldn't, isn't big enough to hold all the books. So he said this, but these have been written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So there's a purpose behind what John includes in this gospel. And in the verses that we'll look at today, John mentions four times how the details of Jesus' time on the cross fulfill prophecies from the Old Testament. And then he also makes a statement about the accuracy of the account because the report is from an eyewitness. John, the author's uh, strong purpose behind what has been written, is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God. And today we'll pick up where we left off last Sunday. And last Sunday was uh, we we looked at uh, the trial of Jesus, and we have this in in John 19 where it says, "Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified," and so they took Jesus away. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come right now in your power and that you would be present with us wherever we are, whenever we're watching this, and that uh, we would hear from you. Amen. John chapter 19. Again, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. If you've got another version that you prefer, um, open it up. You know, on your, let's say, digital or, or, or analog, you've got, you've got your uh, old-fashioned book format, paper format, like the like the fields. Anyways, uh, John chapter uh, 19, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 42. Uh, we're just going to read a couple of these at a time. John 19, 23 and 24 say, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. And this fulfilled the scripture that says, 
They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. And, and, and so today what I'm doing is we're going to look at what that scripture was and, and we'll read it in context. So that's from Psalm 22. We're reading verses 16 and 18. So here we go. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. They divided my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. So that's Psalms. That's like King David. That's like a thousand years, 1,200 years before Jesus. And this is interesting. Apparently the dividing of a crucified person's belongings wasn't that uncommon. But the fact that they gambled for his clothing fulfills the prophetic psalm. And why did they do this? Why, why did they bother doing that? The robe or tunic was seamless. You know, on our shirts, we've got, you know, we've got these seams. So I've got, you know, the, here's the front of my shirt. There's the back of my shirt. That's a different piece. Each sleeve is its own piece. But this shirt that Jesus had was woven as one piece, a very unique, very, um, you know, probably expensive and um, valuable. So that that's why they decided to do that. And the, the soldiers didn't realize that that was fulfilling prophecy, but but John did, and that's that's why he he mentions it. So here we go, verses twenty five through twenty seven. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, "Dear woman." Here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, his disciple took her into his home. What a precious detail that in the midst of Jesus' primary work and burden, he's hanging on the cross. He's been nailed to that cross and it's up and he's hanging by the nails in his hands and his feet. And he looks down. And he makes sure that as his mother's oldest child, he makes sure that she's provided for when he's not going to be there anymore. And the fact that his choice is the disciple he loved, which is how John, the author, refers to himself in this book, it may indicate a couple of things. First is that Jesus had brothers but none of them were present. They did not believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, and they did not attend his trial or watch his crucifixion. He didn't have another brother, another child of Mary's to entrust her to. Secondly, John is historically believed to be the youngest of Jesus' disciples. So, why would Jesus entrust his mother to a, a young man in his late teens or early 20s? There were other older disciples. None of them, though, were present. John is the only person that was his follower, other than these ladies, these women, 
that was at the cross to witness his crucifixion. And, and the young man, John, he, he takes the responsibility seriously. Scripture says, from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Verses 28 and 29. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. So that, that's another psalm. Psalm 69, verses 20 through 21. <clears throat> Their insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. If only one person would show some pity. If only one would turn and comfort me, but instead they give me poison for food. They offer me sour wine for my thirst. And again, these the Roman soldiers are the only ones that, that are close enough to Jesus to have access to him. Again, they don't know that their actions are fulfilling prophecy. Verse 30 through 35 of chapter 19. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by order that their legs be broken, and then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers uh, came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. Remember, he was in the center, and there was a criminal on either side of him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they, did, they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. So I've got some um, insight from my college textbook. <clears throat> there we go. The removal of the body from the cross was requested by the Jews, since leaving the bodies publicly suspended would be a breach of the Mosaic Law and would defile the Passover. In accordance with the Roman custom, the executioner broke the legs of the victims prior to their removal from the cross. The purpose of this cruel deed was twofold. Either the shock and the pain would hasten death, or if the victim survived, he would be crippled permanently and so would be unable to engage in any further activities against the government. So that's why they break the legs. This episode was mentioned because of its importance as evidence for the actuality of Jesus' death. The executioners were experts who could tell the difference between death and a coma induced by pain and exhaustion. Since they refrained from breaking the legs of Jesus, they obviously regarded him as dead. Furthermore, the piercing of his side by the soldier's spear with the resulting flow of blood and water 
is certain proof that death had already taken place since only blood would flow from a living body. If Jesus had not really died, it could not be said that he had been raised from the dead. And if he were a phantom, then death and resurrection alike would be meaningless to him. Interesting stuff, huh? Which makes me think that um, possibly, you know, John's purpose is um, to convince people because there there was a other stories at work that maybe maybe Jesus hadn't really died or he wasn't really a person; he was just a ghost. So anyway, <clears throat> let's go back. Uh, verse thirty six and thirty seven say. This report is from an eyewitness giving an account. uh, One more time. John didn't do that. I don't think so. Anyways, this report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones will be broken and they will look on the one they pierced. So again, the, the, those those occurrences of uh, Jesus' bones not being, his legs not being broken, and being pierced by a sword or a spear, are, are again those are uh, occurrence number three and four of prophetic fulfillment from his time on the cross. So Psalm thirty-four, verse nineteen and twenty says, "The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time." For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. So you hear that, Jewish leaders? Jesus was righteous. Uh-oh. What, what did we do? Uh, and then in Zechariah 12, this chapter was written about the, fir- the future deliverance of Jerusalem. Zechariah was a, a prophet during the, uh, Israel's captivity. And in verse 10, he says this. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me, whom they have pierced, and mourn for him as for an only son. They will give they will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. Interesting stuff, huh? Verses 38 through 42 uh, complete this. So, Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. And he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed oil perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden uh, where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. John specifically mentions four prophecies from Scripture fulfilled in reference to the details of Jesus' crucifixion and death. 
But guys, all of scripture points to Jesus. And we read part of Isaiah 53 last week, and I, I made sure not to go past a certain verse because the next section would give away part of the story. So let's take a look at the rest of that. So Isaiah 53, verses 9 through 12. <clears throat> and again, this is where Isaiah is talking about the, the about God's servant. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. He will, I'm sorry, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. <clears throat> so, again, the, the, the purpose behind all of this is so that you would believe or continue to believe that Jesus is, is who he says he is. He's the Messiah. He, he's the one that you can believe in in order to have eternal life. And <clears throat> I thought it was interesting. So uh, talking about this virus, right, COVID-19, um, and what are the effects of it? It impedes our body's functions. It affects breathing, which can lead to discomfort and even death. And, uh, there, you know, physical viruses aren't the only kind of viruses. Our, uh, the company that I work for, experienced um, some uh, effects of a uh, malware virus and uh, they provided some some technical terms in terms of what what it did the effects of it uh, so malware impedes the functions of systems and products and the effects are it encrypts information on some systems and disrupts access to other systems so by rewriting the way that things are supposed to work, things stop working the way they're supposed to work. Why do I talk about that? Because the, the rebellion that Jesus' death on the cross and, and the sin that he covers by doing that, sin is something that we all go through. We, we aren't all going to get COVID-19. We aren't all going to experience malware, but we all experience sin. Sin is a spiritual infection that impedes our ability to function, perverts our naturally pure thoughts and actions and communications. Uh, the effects are ruined relationships 
and frustration at our inability to not hurt ourselves and others because lies that we have believed have rewritten how we understand the world around us. And in John chapter 15, 13, Jesus tells his disciples, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for their friend. And if, if you've seen the movie Endgame, the Avengers Endgame movie, the character Black Widow sacrifices herself to ensure that her best friend, Hawkeye, survives. And at the very end, Iron Man sacrifices himself to save the world from Thanos. In the movie The Rise of Skywalker, Ben Solo forfeits his life force to Rey, laying down his life for his friend. This theme of making a great sacrifice as an expression of the greatest love that a person can show to another is art imitating life. The two greatest movie series of our time both included this theme of the greatest love, of the love of one laying down their life for a friend. And yeah, I said it, the greatest of all time. I I couldn't say, I I had to do research. Um, uh, You know, Star Wars has nine movies. Police Academy only has eight. And uh, apparently there are 23 or 24 um, like Avengers uh, movie line. There's a lot more that are Marvel, but um, Pink Panther only has uh, has about the same amount, 23, 24, but it's not, it's not the greatest of our time. I, I said it. Go ahead. Fight me on that. Why do those storylines move us so much? It renews our hope in humanity, doesn't it? If, if people can be unselfish and loving to their friends, then that is exactly the choice that people should make. I will sacrifice myself for you because you are more important to me than me. Another reason that I love stories with unselfish, self-sacrificial acts in them is because it reminds me of my Lord and my Savior. Jesus obeyed God the Father's plan to save all of humankind, to take on all that the world could dish out in order to overcome the world and pay the price that our rebellion and our sin racked up so that if we believe in him, we would not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know if you caught how the end of Isaiah 53 ends with words like enjoy and prosper and satisfied and honor and victorious. In John chapter 19, verses 23 through 42, Jesus is crucified. He gives up his spirit, his side is pierced, and his dead body is wrapped up and laid in a new tomb. But that's not the end of the story. In closing today, I want to read 
the Easter meditation written by a man named S.M. Lockridge, who's a pastor of uh, Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter's denying. But they don't know that Sunday's a coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning, and evil is grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They, name it, they nail my Savior's feet to the cross, and then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something, Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the disciples are questioning what has happened to their king, and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming, it's Friday, he's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. And Satan's just a-laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried, a soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place, but it's Friday. It's only Friday. Sunday is a-coming. Friends, does it seem like your life is one big, dark, oppressive Friday? Sunday's coming. Your Savior laid down his life for you because he loves you with the greatest of loves. But that was on Friday. Sunday is coming. Be encouraged this week that whatever you're going through, whatever you are facing, whatever is in your life that you want to see changed, the Lord Jesus has conquered all. And he is ready to show you how great he loves you in answer to your prayers. Be encouraged and be an encouragement to others. Share with those that you are talking to or that you are quarantined with that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it might be Friday, but Sunday is a coming. Pray for yourself and for others as well. we endure another week of quarantine. Because who is able? to do much more than we can ever imagine.
Jesus is. Um, join us next week for our Resurrection Sunday celebration. And I tell you, we traditionally have a potluck brunch together on Easter Sunday morning, and I'm going to miss that. So you know what we're going to do? The first Sunday that we're able to be together, we are going to have a party. Yeah. I, I, I came off for a second really done there. We're going to have a party. We're going to have singing and dancing and hugging and handshaking and feasting. We're going to fill our space with praises and smiles. So that's a, that's that's going to be a Sunday. That's, that's a coming. Uh, watch our Facebook page for uh, whenever that becomes available. Um, tune into our Zoom meeting fellowship in a couple of minutes where we can see and hear each other. And um, as we close, let me pray this blessing over you guys. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. All right, guys. Love you and we'll see you soon.